Welcome to episode 150 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. We have a suitably awesome guest for this episode, Meili Koo. She is awesome. She worked on the prototyping team at Apple, and now she's at Khan Academy doing long-term research, focusing on making awesome teaching tools. Do you want to say anything sentimental about the fact that this is episode 150? No. Cool. And with Is that, there anything? <laughs> uh, no. It's a nice round number, though. It's kind of cool. I'm glad we had an awesome guest for it. So, without de- <laughs> without further ado... Wait, don't we have a sponsor for this? <laughs> without further ado... It's only suitable that <laughs> one of our favorite sponsors would be on this episode, and that's Wayno. Wayno is an agency here in San Francisco with an office in New York and Iceland, and they're doing killer work for clients like Google and Airbnb and Reuters and Boosted Boards and Dropbox. And they're hiring an incredible team that we love and get to hang out with. And every Friday night, they put on a happy hour at their office here in San Francisco. Why are they sponsoring the show? Well, one, they want you to know about the happy hour. So you should come hang out with us if you're in the Bay Area on a Friday night. Uh, They usually tweet out the guest throughout the week. So you should follow Wayno on Twitter. It's wayno.co spelled out. Uh, We'll have that handle in our show notes. Uh, They're also sponsoring mostly because they just want you to go check out their work. You should do it anyways because their work's incredible. It's inspiring. Uh, their posts on Dribble are consistently at the top, so you know it's good. <laughs> I'm endorsing Dribble in this ad read. To check them out, go to wayno.co, U-E-N-O dot C-O. And of course, if you are looking for a change of pace from your current job or want to explore something new, Wayno's hiring designers, you can click the careers link in their header, tell them we sent you, and hopefully work for one of the coolest teams and agencies in the business right now thanks once again to wayno and without further ado here's episode 150 with may lee ku uh, my name is may lee ku i am currently directing design and co-directing long-term research at khan academy before that i was at apple for a long time like seven and a half years which is a that's forever yeah <laughs> that's too long yeah, and I'd worked at other places before then too. Aren't you so supposed don't to reti- even try aren't you supposed and guess to retire my age. after seven and a half? <laughs> I did take a little bit of time off. I went and studied computational fashion in New York for a little while. Yeah. Okay. So what does that mean? Um, so there's ways of actually programming that you know to create wearable garments or materials in some way. Okay, so not just like skinning your Mac. Correct. Cool. We actually did this thing where we scanned us and then use the mesh like use the 3d points of our scans to custom like generate um forms which we then 3d printed you made like um i was looking at the the project website. mini melee it was a uh... oh there was a mini melee there was it broke its arm broke off what's the name of the garment that's the the tutu the tutu that's, that's right we made a generative tutu yeah what what <laughs> what is a generative tutu yeah, so you know how in nature there's these branching structures where like... Um, like fractals? Uh, fractals are like one kind, but like trees. Okay. Probably. Um, and that's all kind of like you can simulate that, right, in, in code. So we just took the mesh structure and we simulated as if each of those little points was like moving away from the center and then wrapped those in 3D and printed them out. And Crazy. so now we have a 3D printed tutu that looks like super organic and... We were hoping it would be kind of springy, but um, man, if you want to fix the tools process right now, 3D printing has got a gnarly, gnarly set of software that you have to use to like get from thing to thing. I've heard VR does too. 
Unity. Anything 3D is like struggling. Yeah. Every time I talk, like, uh, I talked to Gabe Valdivia the other day and he was like, can you please, please make Figma for 3D? Just like do that (laughs) thing. The worst is when like a tool gets you so far and then you have to take the thing out and put it in another tool to like finish the thing. Those, those seams. So like prototyping. (laughs) Yeah. What did you do at Apple? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Prototyping. Wait, did Micah have everything in it? Oh, um, (laughs) that's funny. So I actually, I remember with Linda, she was like, people know about Micah. You're like, yeah, we all know about Micah. I actually refused to use Micah because, well, refused maybe is like too heavy of a word. I didn't use Micah because I knew that at some point in time I'd need a transferable skill. So I didn't want to use Micah and get too attached to it because I knew that at some point I would have to leave. Um, So I wanted to do something that I'm like, when I'm outside Apple, I want to be able to do whatever it is that I was doing. Um, and on our old team, we had this like fantastic way of prototyping in Objective-C. And so I was like, I'm going to learn Objective-C. And it was really painful at first, but um, but then it was really cool. And then they invented Swift. And then they invented Swift. That's right. How do you feel about that? So how do you feel now? <laughs> now I feel like I'm bad at everything because <laughs> yeah. everything is new again. Oh, but man. that's okay. What are you trying to learn right now? Well, we've been playing. We've been playing a little bit in Framer, mm-hmm. so you know the Coffee Script is like another kind of a beast. Um, I'm trying to learn <laughs> Coffee Script colon another type of beast. <laughs> another type. <laughs> another typeless beast. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, thank you for giving him that. He needs. You're it. welcome. <laughs> um, and then I'm learning about game design. Mm. In Coffee uh, Script in concepts and okay. testing <laughs> in brain. Yeah. Um, why game no design? Lua. Why game design? So games are fascinating because there's they're this amazing intersection between, you know, psychology, understanding human behavior and art, animation, interaction. It's like everything. And it's always pushing the boundaries of what's possible. So um, if you think about it, anytime you play a game, you have to learn something. You have to prove your mastery of it. And yet games are so fun and awesome. And so much of like learning and education is like so not fun and awesome. So why? Are games the answer? Maybe. Um, I think that there's definitely a lot to be learned from them. So. What do you mean? Like what? The types of things to learn would be like, how do you design activities in a sequence where people want to stay in it and how do you make a story around it that like really speaks to people and delights them and kind of pulls them in and they don't even know that they're like learning something the princess is in another castle (laughs) (laughs) yeah have you have you heard the saying what happens when you when you have a you get a damsel in distress when you try and save a damsel in distress what do you get i have no idea you get a damsel in distress I just like that saying. All right. Everybody's like, oh, I want to save the damsel in distress. And then you get the damsel in distress. Well, you get you get a damsel in distress. I don't want this damsel in distress anymore. Right. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> just get one that's cool and like doing her thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want a damsel who chills and plays video games. Yeah. And, or builds them. <laughs> or builds them. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I think of like incredibly complex games. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like kind of a jerk for using that example now. Oh, the princess was that, thing? Was that a dick move? No, no, no. no. I think that's a okay. video game joke. I don't know. Okay. No. No, the patriarchy, it slips in everywhere. Oh, <laughs> shit. Sick burn. <laughs> no, it's okay. The princess in um, Monument Valley was like... Monument, She's a badass. Monument Valley is sick. Yeah. yeah. It's such a great game. Oh, my God. Yeah, dreamy. 
I'm thinking of games like uh, Hearthstone and anything more complicated, really. Like mm-hmm. the way that they time. Is Hearthstone complicated? Yeah, it's like luck-based. fucking complicated. No, it's not luck-based. It's luck in the drive. It's like, have you played Hearthstone? I haven't. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, it's not It's not much fun. You're not missing anything. I yeah. guess conceptually, I'm just thinking like, how do you time the hits of dopamine to correspond with like when they're ready to learn something slightly harder or more complex mm-hmm. so that they feel compelled to, yeah. or that you feel compelled to keep going. Right, exactly. Fake randomness through deck manipulation. Well, you think about it like... Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> You think about it like when you have a, t- a teacher or like a tutor or somebody sitting with you that's like teaching you a thing, a lot of the time when you're ready, they kind of know it and they're like, oh, okay, now try this. And you're like, oh, yeah. And they're like, what else do you think you could do with it? And then you go, you know, there's just it's just very natural. And so one thing I think that games have done in, in software is like provided like a very similar ramp to what would happen. What if my teacher could give me experience points and levels and I could allocate into, into skill trees. They do. Oh. Huh. <laughs> Funny. Huh. You just don't see them. Yeah. But if you made that a game, right? <laughs> I'm thinking about education mm-hmm. uh, as it relates to teaching young designers mm-hmm. how to be better designers. Do you feel oh. like that's an applicable use of games? Oh, that's interesting. I mean, I maybe. I think for some of the... We, we have joked for some of the more technical design skills. You saw the like the Bezier tool. There's like Yeah, I was going to say the Bezier game. game is great. Yeah, there's the Bezier game. I wanted to do one for like blurry like subpixel blur. Just so, because like, it drives just, me just move it to it. the pixel fit like yeah. just move or like spot it. Yes. There was a game I saw once called, uh it was about kerning. And it would Oh, that that game's fun. You would have it would give you like a word and you'd have to select each letter and kern them and then it would rank you on how perfectly you did it yeah that um alignment would be another one pixel alignment is like it's a bugbear for me i have a slight reputation in, a, in our slack community for being the pixel fit at first guy yeah i mean today i just i made a quick super quick delete button for a prototype that andy and i were working on just a little backspace it's for a prototype like i don't need to care but i can't i could not i could not not pixel align it mm-hmm. like it i just couldn't not do it it's just so easy to do it yeah just do it just do it just make it reflex yeah i agree and you're working at khan academy now yes uh you said at the beginning but you're working on two distinct things what are those um one of them is design direction in general right and then the other thing is uh long-term research how do you split your time between Two things that sound incredibly big and complex on the um, I would say that I am not doing it successfully yet. <laughs> Do you okay. just push long-term research to later? Because it's the long-term. <laughs> so, yeah, the goal right now is to do it on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Um, Wednesdays are no meeting days at Khan Academy, so that's that works out pretty well. Tuesdays are still like, you know, you have to sort of stand there with a sword in front of your calendar and go, no, no. Mm-hmm slash uh fridays i'm working on getting and so mondays and thursdays are when a lot of the sort of design review and design check-ins and stuff happen wait fridays you're working on what fridays i'm i'm still working on getting fridays back to work oh, on long-term I'm working research on getting got it yeah okay. that's right but right now a lot of fridays like there's a bunch of time spent recruiting mm-hmm. um and like you know meeting with potential people who want to come join us and for anyone who potentially doesn't know what is khan academy khan academy is an educational nonprofit. Um, we 
build things to help students everywhere empower themselves through learning for free. Cool. So when you say you're leading the design direction of that, mm-hmm. that's like what? Well, there's a couple things that we're working on right now. Um, obviously, there's all the video. A lot of people, especially sort of in a in a in a particular generation in school found the Khan Academy videos and used these videos to help get them through high school and college. And so it's best known for its videos by Sal Khan. Um, Then there's a whole bunch of exercises and like you can also opt into these things called missions, which basically feed you exercises so you can kind of keep going along them. Um, And then there's all the products that house those. So we have have mobile apps um, on Android tablet phone and obviously iOS tablet phone. Um, And then we have a web product we tend to call those things like the content library. It's just like all of the content. And okay. Then, um, the content? Con- yeah, the co- exactly. Yes. Oh, man. Is it there's spelled so that many, way internally? There's so many puns at work. There's Good. so many puns. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, so some of the stuff that working, we're working on, obviously there's huge opportunities to like change the way that you traverse the content, customize it for people, have them like, you know, make their own playlists and collections. Like all that stuff is just, yeah, it'd be nice. Um, and then there's sort of like deeper things, like how what, might we empower educators th- through our stuff? Like what, what, what can we do for teachers? I think is like a big, a big question because a lot of educational software for teachers is, I don't know if you've looked at any of it, but a bunch of it is like... I've done some courses. You've done some courses... On f- on Khan Academy. Oh, on Khan Academy. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, I was referring to like other... Yeah, how much... Third party. How much do you think about oh, no. enabling teachers versus teaching students directly? Um, It's pretty balanced. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty balanced. I don't feel like that message has gotten out yet, but like we love teachers. We, we like have a whole bunch of them in-house and yeah. And we have a school downstairs full of kids. So this like game jam I ran on Friday with a bunch of people um, was about like having kids invent their own games and learn about the design process. So they had to pick one of four existing games, play it, critique it, discuss what they liked about it and what they didn't. You're teaching kids critique? Oh, yeah. And then, um, and then inventing a new one, playing it themselves and iterating on, on it to see like what worked and what didn't, and then writing up the rules and potentially drawing new, some of them drew new cards. Um, and then they switched teams and, and played the other team's games uh-huh. so that they could observe like how well their game worked when other people played it. Are kids good at critiquing? I think kids are amazing at critiquing, especially like when you know that they're kids. I love the really, really candid kids that are just like, I just don't like these ones because they're boring or like, <laughs> I don't like this because it doesn't have strategy <laughs> or, else, or like, I like the ones with the faces. Like I remember my niece saying something like that. I just like Quality all the ones with critique. faces. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so it's constructive. so unfettered. Yeah. There's no like beating around the bush. It's just like, and then the best is if you, also if you get pre-verbal kids, like ones that are not going to express things with words, they're just going to close your app and you just know it's boring because they're out. <laughs> they know to hit the home button. They're out. You're like, it's crazy okay, that well, we're in the failed. world of apps, though. Like, they oh, just yeah. close their app. They're just like, nope, home button, mm. done, out. I told, um, you know Vector Park? No. Oh, this guy makes this, like, he made Metamorphobet. Do you remember? Have you played with Metamorphobet? Oh, no, I okay. haven't heard of that. Super cool, this guy. Um, it's this this alphabet activity where these, like, letters, you can just interact with them and they'll, like, morph into other things and um, show all of these. Like, the bee grows a beard and then it, like... Anyway, it's just like cool. his imagination mm-hmm. is off the chain. Um, but uh, he built a, 
this tiny little app used to be a Flash game back in the early 2000s, and he port he port he wrote a like Flash to iOS port. Amazing, but yeah, my nephew when he was like three or four years old just like kept on playing with his game. So I like I wrote him. I was like, "You did good." It's like early 2000s, and this kid was playing in like 2015. It just kept on closing it and then coming back to it. I was like, "It's a good sign." What games do you play right now? <sighs> Pokemon Go. Hey! <laughs> no, 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 games. Oh, Brynn's oh, like a little bitter. <laughs> what am I playing lately? I guess the last thing I played was like um, Flow, the Genova Chen game, and then Little Big Planet. I'm kind of late to Little the Little Big Planet's a uh, while ago. Yeah, I know, but I've never played it. I'm I'm playing catch up because I'm I'm ah. a newbie to all this. Like I missed all of that. I was too busy like making stuff. <laughs> I was too busy for this. <laughs> yeah, see, I had shit to stuff. do. <laughs> I, I was being productive and making I, Apple I don't know. patents. I don't know if productive is <laughs> I don't know if productive is the word, but like I wasn't doing that and now I'm like all of a sudden fascinated in it. So I'm like, yeah, I'm a noob. I don't know. Like kind of imposter. Do you play games on Steam? Sometimes, yeah. Have you tried Never Alone? Yes. I feel like, yeah, that seemed like something. Yeah. Yeah, if you like uh, Flow or Journey or whatever, like yeah. that reminds me a lot of those. Even yeah. though it's just like side-scrolly. Or Ori in the Blind Forest, that's amazing. I haven't played that. So good. Braid. Braid's great. Yeah. Have you played The Island? Uh-uh. That's his next game, okay. The Braid Guy. Okay. Lots of games suggestions. So things. many games. All right, so you're working on Design Direction at Con Academy. Let's just talk about games for the next hour. <laughs> And we can, but I'm also curious. You're also working on long-term the long-term research. research stuff. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about that? Like, okay, what does that even mean? How long-term in the context of Khan Academy? So, have y'all the context? The that's right. Nice, dude. Um, have y'all heard of Alan Kay? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, so I had a little back and forth with him before we got Let's started. Let's pretend we haven't for the listeners who haven't. True. He computers good. Yeah. Um, so so we have Alan Kay to thank for a lot of um, modern computer paradigms, things that we do, like object-oriented programming, for example. Um, he worked on something called Smalltalk that kind of paved the way towards that. Um, one thing a lot of people don't know is that the, all of the iterations, except for I think maybe the final one or two of Smalltalk, were tested primarily with kids. Oh. Um, so it was designed as a way to maybe think about how kids might think easily about programming. So when you design things for kids, it's just similar to designing things to be accessible. Everybody benefits, right? Yeah. Like the wheelchair uh -huh. ramps. And, um, so, um, so yeah, Alan Kay, as some people know, has also ha uh, got this new research group called HARC um, under why Combinator Research. So we went back and forth with him a little bit and he said, if you have a research group and your goals are, um, or your your time span is like a year, you're not gonna do the right thing in that year. You need to have like around five years. There's actually a talk that he gave, you can look up online and he talks about the right time horizon to set for research. If you have about five years, it turns out that you might actually do some of the right things in the first year. And that's things like, we're gonna build the tools that we're gonna build the things in, for example. So. Say you realize you need a whole prototyping language or something that's going to make the kinds of constructs you want to make more easy, then you would do that if you had five years. You wouldn't do it if you had one year. So we have about a, a, roughly a five-year horizon. When did that start? I'd say that it really came together. I would say 
honest, honest answer is it's still starting. Okay. Um, but we sort of had it designated around December that we were like, this is going oh, to be Oh, wow. Great. So super, super new. Yeah, super new. Yeah, and we just made our first hire. We hired a teacher who's got seven years of teaching experience um, and a master's in education. So it's, it's pretty cool because we all have these conversations like, we're thinking about this. And he's like, well... Cool. Yeah. The way that kids understand that is like, first they understand this, then they understand this. And like, here's the common errors of what they might understand or not understand. And so like, yeah, he just kind of gets in the brain of all that. So what what does long-term research mean in the context of Khan Academy? So a lot of the things that we work on at Khan Academy are, we need to kind of be able to make impact now. And we need to be able to run sort of on a regular production schedule. And similar, similarly to HIDPRO at Apple, sometimes you need that sort of longer horizon, uh, the ambiguity and the lack of definition up front in a project in order to kind of find things along the way. Um, so HIDPRO means human interface design prototyping? Human interface device prototyping at Apple. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for, for calling that out. Yeah. So the group that I was in at Apple was human interface device prototyping. Um, and yeah, we were given a lot of leeway as to like what we explored and for how long. Um, and that was how we were able to kind of serendipitously, for example, find like force touch and that whole like taptic um, illusion. You know, that wasn't the kind of thing that somebody in, in at the beginning, you know, a lot of the times if you work on production software, somebody at the beginning has to define what you're going to do. You're going to say you have six months, here's what you're going to build. But that's like not how you discover new things. You discover new things by like playing in your medium and being like, oh, well, that's that's interesting. Like, what is that going to lead to? So it's a different mindset. It's a different kind of schedule. It's a different way of running the group. And that's why we realized we needed to have a separate group to do it. That mindset is unfathomable to me because I'm just not like thinking at that level. How do you get in the right mindset to be thinking on a five-year time horizon where like there's not a definition of what you're trying to solve? Or is there? There are definitions of what you're trying to solve. They're just probably a little more widely scoped. And if you apply a lot of what you would do in a natural design process, in a research process, there's a lot of similarities there, right? Like if you narrow the scope way down, let's say that like the three of us are just working on, on one design, right, for one screen. We're going to try, you know, we're going we're to break down the problem. Then we're going to try a couple of things. We'll look at all the different possibilities of what we tried and kind of check out what has, what has more promise. And we might discover some things along the way, and that's cool. But at that point in time, oftentimes when you narrow the things that you've iterated on down to like two or three possibilities, you inevitably have to cut some things because of scope, yep. even though they show possibility. In those moments, I would I would say in like a research group, you might say like, no, but this really has potential. We're going to go down this. We're going to go wandering down this unknown road. I see. Um, and then you might branch that way. Eventually, you might discover something that's like, nope, not going to do that. That's, for example, like upright touchscreen. You know, are your shoulders and your arms get exhausted? Not going to do it. Going to cut that branch off. But you had to do all of that to get there. So that's another thing about research is that like your failed experiments are successes because you've said no to something definitive. Like this definitely doesn't work, right? On a mini, mini like micro scale, that's the same thing in a design. You're like, I tried this layout. It failed. Okay, we're throwing that out. For sure. Yeah. But at an organizational level and at a bigger level, it seems... Um, Having something that vague, mm -hmm. it, it sounds like it might be hard to rally behind or like mm. set schedules for or have like milestones or goals. Like how do you how do you know that you're being successful successful in the research you're doing? That's a good question. I think we had to spend a bunch of time figuring out how we were going to measure a success because um, there's always that thing, measuring success. 
Right. Um, okay, ours. <laughs> did you did you even decide to like? Are we not going to measure success? <laughs> like, um, how do you no, know? I I think we wanted to go around it, get at it from like a slightly different angle. And one of the the biggest things that we set forth was that like we need to be excited about it. We want the organization to be excited, and ideally, we would like the greater world to be excited about the things we're publishing. If we have any influence at all, it's great. Whether it's like, no, we're not going to do this thing or we are going to do this thing. And so strategically, what happens in a lot of large organizations is they'll start this like R&D group. They'll be off siloed somewhere. There's no conversation happening between production and R&D. And then everybody's like, what's the use of R&D? Right. <laughs> Which is like, mm, we can get back to like what the problematic concerns are about that. It's a little. It's like a skunk works. Yeah. And then a lot of the things that we do today, right? Like if you think about Alan Kay's early visions of what like a Dynabook was, right? Which led to like basically. You know, I don't know what a Dynabook is. So the, the Dynabook, the idea was that it's like this, it was basically a laptop, right? Okay. Or a laptop or an iPad, but he, he drew it and it basically looks the way that those do today, but he drew this in like 1972, right? So. Is this that thing that looked like a Microsoft courier? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Or it was like a tablet that folded open. Yeah, and like small talk, like object-oriented programming, like all of all of modern computing was being <laughs> done by like people doing long-term research. Like 1968, you look at some of the prototypes from 1968 are like Screen Hero today, like yeah. just basically the same thing. Yeah. So sometimes people are like, "Oh, why do you want to do long?" And you're like, "Really though? Like you're you're still standing on the shoulders of giants." I want to like, decide the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which. You mentioned upright touchscreens and how your arms get tired. Yeah. Have you played with the HTC Vive yet? No. Your arms get tired, but it is so much fun when your <laughs> arms get tired. So you maybe you'll use it to play, but you're not going to yeah. use it to like check your exactly. email. Yeah. I just had to throw that out there. Cool. That's cool. I'm excited. I, to, like, there's play, a game called Longbow uh-huh. where you're literally just shooting a bow and uh-huh. you're, like, you feel the tension even though it's not there. Yeah. Your arms get so tired. The best players switch arms mid-game, and so Amazing. they're doing opposite things. Daniel Hooper did that, and yeah. I was blown away. I think that when you do real archery, your arms also get tired. So that's like probably about right. Yeah, yeah. It was super cool. So yeah, I think the the excitement thing is is like one of the big sort of metrics for us, or whatever you want to call that, like sort of a measure of. Some Are sort you of excited? I'm super excited. So, success. So, <laughs> hey, done. we have succeeded. Yeah. And I, I think like, so the, the underlying thesis is basically like you, I think you'll agree with this. Like a lot of the times you can study something and kind of internalize it in your mind, but it's not until you play with something, you interact with something, you try and build something, or you have the experience of doing a thing that you really internalize that knowledge, right? And so that's why one of the first things we want to play with is like, how do we use this dynamic medium for education? Because people can actually play and interact. That's the same reason that like game design kind of comes in. Right. So if I tell you that like when you throw a ball in the air, like the motion has something to do with a parabola, like sure, right? Like you're reading it on paper, like sure. But if you're actually like throwing stuff around and maybe we like strobe it over a background and you can actually like see the form of the parabola as the ball flies, you're going to be like, that's pretty cool. That's real. Right. Right. So it's that kind of stuff that we're like looking to take advantage of like this fantastic digital goo that we now have in our phones and (laughs) (laughs) in our phones and iPads. The gooey? Oh, nice. The gooey gooey? (laughs) The gooey gooey. So it sounds like your team intentionally didn't silo R&D off in the distance. Oh, right. Yeah. Good point. So part of the reason that I'm doing both of these things is because I feel like it's better when we stay 
close and in touch. And like some of the things that we're looking at, like probably already influence the product or things that I'm able to think about because I'm in the long-term research, I can bring back to the product group and say, hey, you know, for example, we have somebody right now that's working on a bunch of translation tools. And I'm like, how would it be if our translation tools felt amazing to the people that were translating? And it was like a game. You just wanted to keep going and translate as much as possible because it felt that good. And we give people the right doses of dopamine at the right time. You uh-huh. know? Like, um, It's kind of like, you know, when you use Keynote, it feels good. You're like, yes, I'm making a presentation. It's fun. No, and then you use I don't, like, I don't <laughs> you don't. Nope, nope. No, nope. you don't like, oh, no. <laughs> no, I do. I Keynote's think it's awesome. fun. Keynote and I don't I just, get along. I just don't like presentations in general. <laughs> okay. but you I, wrote, com- I wrote my own HTML and CSS slide library, so I wouldn't have to use it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, see, there you go. That's fantastic. You're R&D. Like, something was painful, so you like made a thing. That's like something else we talk about. It's like, how do you put students in a situation where you're compelled to invent or you're compelled to learn because you're like, this is boring and tedious. Yeah. Teach Give them div- boring and teach me division yeah. <laughs> because I'm tired of repeat subtraction or like whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that type of thing is like, you know, because I've been thinking about game design and, you know, I'm able to turn around and say like, hey, what would happen if we pres- applied like these principles over here in some totally unexpected place? Um, so that's that's one. And then the other is like um, at Apple a lot of the stuff we did in like HID prototyping was looked at by the same people that were looking at stuff in production. So we were able to actually like develop some things that, for example, multitasking for the iPad, right? We were thinking, we were actually thinking about a different problem when we developed that and that wound up shipping on regular iOS first. So, and then there were other things like um, force touch, which we were thinking about on MacBooks and it wound up shipping on the watch first. So when you have that symbiosis between your like, long-term research and your product team and things can hop back and forth and kind of, you know, take root and grow in like different places. But in this case, you're doing both. In this case, I'm doing both. In the case of Apple, like there were a couple of people that have visibility into both also. So there needs to be people that have visibility into both. I'm still building up the long-term research team alongside Andy, but. I'm really curious about only because it's been on my mind lately about like how long people or how short people stay at tech companies in general, mm-hmm. uh, especially designers, yeah. and to commit to a long-term research and like this long-term vision. Is that scary for you? Or is that exciting? Um, it's both. Yeah. It's both, yeah. I mean, I think that you reach a point, or I would like, I would wish this for many people, that you reach a point where your work is your work and your job is like the... There, it's like you're lucky to have a place that is investing in your work. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. And you found that? Yeah, I think so. Did you have that at Apple too? Um, I think it, at Apple it was, it felt like so much learning. It felt like I was get, like training to figure out how to apply that process to what I more deeply cared about. That's cool. So I felt like when I was in HID prototyping over and over again, we would come up with concepts of like, how are we going to use this like fancy new hardware to do a thing? And the things that I come come up with a lot of the times they were like really fun or whimsical, like the face effects or like, you know, um, a bunch of the stuff for the early stuff that um, we drew for the Apple Pencil. A lot of them had to do with like education or creative tools. And that's what made me realize that I care a lot about education and creative tools. 
Um, and then I was like, well, what would happen if I left and actually applied those skills to education and creative tools outside Apple? Oh, hey, Khan Academy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't actually go looking for a job outside Apple. I was just ready to leave and be independent and like do some research on, on my own. Um, Get out from under those rules? Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a saying that somebody said I left my job so I could get started with my work. Have you ever heard that expression? I have heard I have that. Not. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... So, just so I get your definition, how would you distinguish between having a job and having work? I think a lot of the times, like, if you have... It, it's not that the it's not necessarily a dichotomy, but you might have a job where you're paid to work on some sort of problem that you're excited about solving, but it isn't, like, coming from this deep yearning. You're not like, I really want to, you know, create some sort of leap forward so that, like, all kids can easily make their own games. Like, say that's like this deep urge that you have, but you're working at a company that's like, well, I need you to really optimize this flow so that we can make sure that users like click through more of our site. Just an example. Not that that ever happens. Uh huh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, like, your job is this optimizing like the way the users are using your current site, but like your work might be like, I'm trying to work towards empowering more people to be creative and inventive you know and create like a new generation of inventors for example or something like that what would you say to someone that hasn't found what their work is but they have a job but they have a job um like how long did it take before you realized that there was this work that you needed to be doing yeah i'd say like i think first of all like that i I hope you have a chance to find that and that you have the luxury of working on it because, I mean, I think that's that's real talk, right? It is a luxury to be able to do that. I think a lot of people are told that you're supposed to, like, find your goal and work towards it. I think that's really hard. Not everybody works that way. I think you have to do a bunch of self-observation. Like, when you're in your spare time, like you just now, we were, like, sitting there earlier, like, you're sketching logos while we're talking. When you're sitting around and you're not thinking about something or you're like out, you're going for a walk, the sort of like dreams that come into your head, like are there patterns there? Are there things that like you're seeing come into your mind over and over again? What if I'm just playing Pokemon Go? So then it might be like, what do you, what is it that's compelling you to do that? <laughs> uh, Pokemon? <laughs> There's so many things we could do with the basic structure of Pokemon Go. <laughs> right? Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, what if you could like wander around your city and like, what if it was just like a huge like city collection mystery hunt, right? Like, right. like you could unearth clues by wandering around, but you had to like talk to other people about the clues in order to like put the mystery story together. What or, if it was a good game where like everyone else was the trainers and you would like go battle them, but with like real battle mechanics and then it'd be like Pokemon and that'd be great. Friends are really bitter about this game. Did you see what, did you see the, I, do you, have you read Thinking Fast and Slow? Um, no. Third of the way? Uh, hi- oh, yeah. I know it takes a while, right? That thing it is, is so dense. dense. It Holy is so shit. Dense. I can read a chapter and then I'm just tired. <laughs> it's good. It's, it's so good, good and so, so good. dense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you saw. I like tweeted this thing. I was like, what if we made a game called like Kahneman Go? <laughs> and then you walked around your city and like found biases. <laughs> <laughs> and then you use the AR to like look with the lens of system one and system two oh, <laughs> to that's like cool. see things differently. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Anyway. So I just want to make sure you finish the point. You, you're saying that it's what you're thinking about when you're not thinking about things that might lead someone towards like their true work or their core work. Yeah. It's, 
So, for example, if you sat down and you were like, every time you had idea of a thing you want to build, like I think all of us that work in this use, every once in a while, you've got to have an idea of something that you're like, oh, it'd be so cool if I could build X, right? Hopefully, yes. like we all have those urges. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Or if I could draw X or if I could make X. So keep track of all those things and then pull the themes out the same way that you would in a regular design process to keynote brainstorm. Just draw a lot of X's. Over time. So temporarily. Because you're not going to get it in one sitting. It's the kind of thing you watch yourself over the course of maybe a year or two. And you notice that every time that you're like, oh, I really wish I could build whatever it is. Like it starts kind of pulling out this theme. It's kind of in some area. When you discovered yours? Did you discover yours? Kind of. <laughs> Seemed like you'd said it was about education. And creative tools. And creative tools. Yes. What was um, that like? Kid. Yeah, what was that like when you what like, happened? honed in on Self-observed. that? The self-observation was like, I keep on drawing these things. I keep on having these ideas. They keep coming back to me. Yeah, they keep yeah, coming yeah. back to haunt me. They're kind of in these areas. Yeah. And then one day where you're just like, holy shit, I have to do this. I have to do these things. It wasn't just like one day. I think a bunch of things over time accumulated and then it became clear that it was time to go and like take the plunge into I didn't know what, which is how I wound up in New York studying computational fashion. Uh, and then I a brief diversion. Brief diversion. Then I wound up traveling around southern Colombia and meeting with an indigenous group that's nearly extinct. There's Whoa. only like seven thousand of them left. And learning about the way that they see the world, which is really interesting, even from a mathematical standpoint. But maybe that's a story for another time. Um, but it was, yeah, it was really, it was really cool to just understand that there was a whole bunch of things that I was passionate about and that I was in a spot where I could probably take any single one of them and pursue it. And like, I felt like I had enough background to just go do that. You know what I found interesting is even if you do that, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it might be in conflict with the way that uh, we're incentivized in life and in our jobs oh, yeah. to like actually deliver different things. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how you think about that. Uh, Performance reviews might incentivize certain behaviors that yeah. aren't conducive to like long-term thinking or like performance reviews. Yeah. Yeah. They might induce behavior like performance reviews. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And, and this is kind of getting back to a bunch of the, the understandings of game design that I'm super excited about, which is like people studying behaviors, incentive systems and rule systems and like why people act the way they do. I, I really, I love geeking out on that stuff. There's this fantastic book called um, Economics. It's like a comic strip form that explains modern economics. You should definitely check it out. Into it? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then you start thinking about like, why are things the way they are? Well, they're the way they are because a lot of our incentive systems, like what are the both the visible and in invisible incentive systems? Like some of the most visible ones are like money, right? Or like power. Some of the invisible ones are like, um, you know, uh, maybe social clout or like being liked or some of those types of, of things that are like harder to, to quantify. Got to get them intangibles. Uh, that's why they made clout.com. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know? What's your clout score, Brian? A <laughs> hundred. I, uh, yeah. I've never looked at it. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, cause I think, I think modern day, we spend a lot of time being like, Oh, look at this person. So terrible. They said this thing. It's so terrible. But I think it'd be more constructive use of our time to be like, hmm, but why? Mm. Like, why are they doing that? Like, what led them to do that? There's goals. Like uh, Donald Trump. Right. Like the people he's appealing to 
feel disenfranchised, but they don't want to admit it, so they go for the person that makes someone else feel disenfranchised instead. Right. We're not the most disenfranchised. We're winning compared to them. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit, that got dark. (laughs) But I mean, it's true. And intangibles. Going back to thinking fast and slow, like the thing that's been amazing to me is how easily we can be tricked into thinking that one incentive system is better for us. Yeah. Like work on this project and you'll make this amount of money. And it's like, oh, sweet. I can make a shitload of money. And then cool money. it's hard to stop and think about what are the, not only the consequences of working on a short-term project versus a long-term, but like how that might impact your career growth and how that might impact the people around you or the people that actually use your product and things like that. For sure. I'm curious for you, like at, Khan Academy, you're thinking about education mm-hmm. and like that's a pretty profound thing for a lot of people, right? The ability to, to change your life by learning something new. Yeah, for sure. I think it's working at Khan Academy, thinking about education and understanding that the design problems are no longer limited to like the screen, let alone the human with the screen, but the systems around the people, who's around them every day, how did they grow up, what society are they in, what part of that society are they in, what is the history of that, like all of those types of things like start playing into your design. You're really starting to think about human systems around your software, not just the software itself. That's been a huge awakening and it's hugely humbling. Human think, systems designer, Meili Koo. <laughs> yeah. Well, so like uh, one of the, the talks that I gave recently, um, which was at um, NS North, was talking a little bit about that, that there's these really um, fascinating mayors of Bogota which used to be like this huge crime capital in Colombia that figured out these ways. Oh, Bogota. In Bogota. Yeah. I was was very confused for a minute there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, They figured out these ways to change the people's behavior in the city, like using these interesting systems. Like for example, they realized that um, people are super influenced by soccer culture there. So they mailed everybody a white and a red card. And then when they were in traffic, if they didn't like the way someone around them was driving, they could give them a red card. But (laughs) they're like, the feeling of getting a red card was so bad to people that they really didn't want to get a red card and they they started driving better and like being less mean with their cars to each other because huh. of this red card. And then the white card was like a thank you. So l- literally changing like citywide driving patterns was something like that. And they did a bunch of other experiments, but that, that reminds, stuff is all really interesting. And then they all fake injury whenever they get into an accident. <laughs> uh, oh, we're going there. Red card <laughs> flailing. It reminds me of the well, the traffic experiment where... If you were speeding, mm-hmm. you would just automatically get a ticket from a camera or something, but mm-hmm. the money would go into a pool and the pool would get paid out to the people who weren't speeding. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All of those things. I happen. mean, that comes back to money, which is a little bit different versus like pride in a national sport or like that emotion. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the incentive systems should, I always feel like those should be the first things we examine. I remember also like, um, I've worked on products before too, where people are like, we should build this feature. And you're like, but why? And then you realize it's because of whatever, some metric metrics that somebody's measuring yeah. that you're like, but that's not at all what we want humans to do. But yeah, you've been here for a long time. I love your perspective on like, as you've been through certainly one of the largest tech companies in the world, mm-hmm. and then just being around other startups and sort of the startup boom and everything, like how you view the incentive structure that we've created in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Oh, man. Return on investment. Yeah, I think it's really difficult. Um, There's a couple of fundamental aspects to it that I think are worth revisiting. One of the really basic ones is scaling. We're so obsessed with scale. 
And at the same time, I think in our deepest, deepest, like human selves, we're really yearning for things that are small and special and intimate. Um, we want the money to scale. <laughs> we want the money to scale and the users to scale and all these types of things. But like, maybe if we paid attention to some of the things that are like outside the machine, one of the ways of like scaling something that isn't like a software scaling thing is thinking about culture and how you perpetuate culture because that is a thing that's like human and it, you know it affects the way that we interact with each other that can actually scale but it's outside you know the control of software or sometimes it's influenced by software mm-hmm. but it's a different it's a different kind of beast so if you think about apple right apple versus microsoft so i've actually worked at both Shh. Um. <laughs> okay, we won't tell anyone. <laughs> I needed a visa. I mean, I'm grateful my, for my experience there, but I did need a visa. It's the truth. Breaking. If May Lee gets kicked out of the United States. <laughs> uh. So when you think about the culture around Apple, right, especially in the early days, people really, really wanted to be part of this right there's the keynote there's the stores there's the like have you seen this new cool feature thing that you talk to with your friends about and that makes the entire culture around apple products much more like open to learning about new things so like people at apple you can change the software completely and be like new music app we like fixed all the interactions and people are like okay cool great thanks you know like or something like that. Like they'll all want to go and look at the site and figure God, out. God, wouldn't it be things. great if they made a new cool music app? Yeah, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as like at some companies, people just need you not to change the shit. Like yeah. they just get mad if you change the shit, and that's I like, make money through that shit. Yeah, stop changing the shit. Yeah, I want so, my money to scale. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like the culture around the product. But you can, you know, the, your your marketers, your you know, you're like brand people, the people that are in charge of the keynote and the stores and the, your ambassador, like all of that stuff is part of what you're designing as you start designing like more and more abstract levels of your stuff. I think a lot of the times designers, if you first come in and you're like, I'm designing what's on the screen, then you realize that you're like designing, you know, the interaction between people as they're holding the thing that's on the screen. Then you realize, you know, et cetera, it goes on. Then at some point in time, you get to a point where you realize you have to redesign an organization in order for design to be successful in that organization. And then you might realize you need to design the way that like whatever VC funding works in order to make more startups that are like, for example, tackling deeper human problems. If that was like, you know, how you felt about things. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Just redesign VC. Problems just get like bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So people are doing that, right? Like there's people that are doing interesting work on like alternative um, economic structures for for startup funding. What do you think about short-term versus long-term thinking here? Because obviously Apple has been known for long term and now at Khan Academy like five year roadmap that seems quite unusual yeah yes can you talk about or like not ro- five yeah five year horizon sorry yeah five year horizon yeah. not, <laughs> not a five year plan yeah so you worked with Avi Chaplinsky yeah on force touch 3D touch yes. that whole thing yes how long ago did that start like what kind of like was that is that something you can talk about about the timeline yeah I'm not sure but it was a so while. So I won't push on it. I'll just yeah. So I I mean I can talk like about it. It seemed like it was a long time. Yeah, I can talk about it probably without giving specific years. Yeah. But I think what happens in Silicon Valley is that there's this kind of myth that you know you release a pro- product and everybody's like, wow, there's this guy that invented this product, and then you put the guy on the magazine and you give the time frame for the final product development. Usually, you don't realize usually that a white dude. Usually a white dude, and usually what happens is that there's like hundreds of people that have worked on this thing, like everybody from. You know, the person that invented the robot that jumps on top of the machine to ensure that in users' hands it will not fall apart. What? 
the person that like reinvented plastic in order to be PVC free, the person that invented the boards to look beautiful when you open up the phone, even Wait, though- Wait, Steve Jobs didn't do the whole thing? <laughs> right? <laughs> no, no, he didn't. What? And Bryn was crushed. Everything, everything I know. <laughs> but we like have this, and even the, like people have this myth that like he came up with all the ideas. Now he's really good at curating the ideas and like making them come to fruition, like identifying them and pushing for them to happen. Editor in chief. Right. Which if anybody worked at like, you know, you've worked at other companies where designers like come in with fantastic ideas and they never go anywhere because nobody's pushing for them to actually make it into the final product. Like that can happen in a lot of places or they kind of get dumbed down, like beyond recognition. Um, So the other aspect of it is that like sometimes the research was happening 30 years ago, but the guys that did the research 30 years ago that led up to the thing, like nobody's talking about, like they're long gone. They didn't have publicists. They're not gonna be on the cover of Time magazine because they didn't make this like final product, but the final product wouldn't have been possible without all the hard work of these people doing potentially long-term research for 30 years beforehand. Uh So yeah, I think people forget how long like new technology takes. The cover of the magazine. New technology is usually pretty old technology. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly, right? I mean, if you think about a lot of the stuff that we've got going on today, it was happening in the 90s, right? Like I think about the first bust, which happened in the year 2000. A lot of people I think around here weren't around for that bust, but- We talk about it a lot. Yeah. So (laughs) What do you mean? Of course I know all about it. (laughs) (laughs) I was six years old at the time. (laughs) So just before that, there was... You were eight. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Sorry. It's all good. But yeah, so Cosmo.com was the like, deliver anything to me, right? Somebody wrote this fantastic article that was like then and now, and they just took every startup that's going on now, and they had like the 1990s version of it. It was Mm. the same thing. There is the smell of vision. I think we talked about that on a recent episode. With Amber Cartwright. With Amber. (laughs) It's called Smell-O-Vision. There is Smell-O-Vision in the 90s, like smells (laughs) to come out of your computer. And now we're like thinking, all right, we're doing VR. How can we get smells to add to the experience as well? Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't want to like, you know, understate the importance of like good execution, right? This thing that really stuck with me after. uh, So I was at the Steve Jobs yelling, the mobile me one, the infamous one. Ah, yes. Yeah. Um, and one of the things he said was like, you can get a good idea on the corner for $4 with your latte, you know? And so you think about that, you're like, oh yeah. I mean, execution does matter. Like a lot of people have a lot of ideas they throw around. doesn't mean that they're all equal when they come out. But I do, I do wish that we could work, that, there, that long-term thinking didn't have this sort of like bad rap of like people just being lost and wasting money. Because I think that a lot of the stuff that we do you know, we were talking about Xerox. Well, we didn't actually say Xerox Park earlier. We should have said Xerox Park earlier. That's where Alan Kay was. And like I feel like everyone was. should have said Xerox Park earlier. <laughs> yes, <laughs> always. Um, my, my first actual UX professor worked at uh, Xerox Park. She was, her name's Dr. Marilyn Tremaine, and she worked on the, the mouse. Right. She worked on the mouse. Amazing. I saw the videos of user testing for the mouse. <laughs> People would flip it upside down and like spin the ball. <laughs> They did not know what to do with and not, it. And not just to get the lint out. Like, yeah, they did, they, they're like, oh, how do I yeah. use this thing? Right. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. Have you ever, have you seen some of the, like the ones with like multiple, I think there's like a four or five finger. Yeah, four there's or five finger several, one. Yeah. several yeah. buttons. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's fascinating. Have you watched the 1968 Motherwall demos by Douglas Engelbart? 
Now I no. want to. Oh, I know yeah. the I know but that it's, name. It's yes. been it's been mentioned like three times, and I still haven't watched it. Oh man, you you have to just you organize a watching, bring popcorn, and okay, sit there and think about what happened. Viewing party. Hey Bryn, what are you doing Saturday night? Watching the mother of all demos. Well, I'm probably gonna do that after this. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thanks for the invite, dude. Uh, what do you want for yourself, like? I thought your example was interesting and perhaps just part of the story, but like being on the cover of a magazine is like the end state. Like, do you want to be known for something or, or like, what's going to be fulfilling for you in all of this long-term thinking that you're doing? Brian, Brian, Brian. I think it's this is the ultimate is, Brian Is this question. the deepest question I could possibly no, ask? I, I, think, <laughs> I think there's something really... <laughs> Sorry if it's really corny, but no, I don't no, care. No. When we started this podcast, you'd be like, what do you want to do with your life? Like, <laughs> and I stopped asking for a long time, <laughs> but I feel comfortable enough right now. Are that. you searching? Are you searching? <laughs> yes. It's understandable. A lot of people are searching. Um, I think there is, because I think it's very natural in in the way that we live right now for people to kind of hit this, what's called, I think it's like... I think Viktor Frankl um, calls it like a nihilistic void or something like that. There was like people feel like, like I like that. Yeah, it's where like, I live. <laughs> <laughs> I like to nest in my nihilistic void. So I think I know. I think it's a really, I think it's a salient question. Um, I, I mean, I would love it if several generations from na- from now there were still people out there that were like working on questions that had been led to by questions that had been led to by questions that had been led to by it, things that we opened up. A coolest line of thinking. Yeah. So that's that's one of them. I mean, I think um, being able to uh, create cultural practices that perpetuate too over time. If people are, if I'm able to record some of the types of things that we do organizationally and culturally, um, that people are able to say like, no, like, um, you know, for example, we have a team meeting and like, let's make sure that we separate like your ability to debate from your ability to design and figure yeah. out like better decision making practices. Like, what? Those types no, of you just. Start having arguments. It's cool. <laughs> it's one way of doing it's part it. Part of the work. It is one way of doing it. Um, obviously, super cool would be if, you know, what some of the ideas or things that I had tried, like, uh, led to other things that were being built, being influenced by those. Yeah. And then have that happen over time. Like, for example, some of the stuff that we build now is still inspired by HyperCard, right? Which was, like, built in the 80s. Yeah, we don't talk about that. You don't t- you don't like to talk about HyperCard. Well, still, today, it's, like, things like HyperCard and KidPix are huge influences on and oh, mind, man, mind storms. I don't know what KidPix oh, is. Oh, man. See, somebody just needs to... I kind of want to just rebuild KidPix. Isn't that what Clay Vin did? Did he? Yeah, I think he did. Oh, somebody did it. Awesome. I'm going to go play with it now. Bye, guys. <laughs> And that was episode 150. <laughs> Mainly he's now left the room and is going to play with kid pits. And is somehow She's talking. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so th- like sometimes these things have like long, long standing influence and inspiration. I mean, I, I think even something as simple as like the fact that TI-85s were programmable. You think about how many, how many. So that's kind of a dream that too. That like, awesome. <laughs> how many kids today are like. Oh, yeah. Well, I started coding because I had a T85 and I was trying to cheat on something or I was trying to build a game and showing it off to my friends. Like, uh-huh. yeah. you know, we're, we're trying to do all these like programs that are very formal and we're like, we're going to make people program. It's like mm, there's there were ways that people got suckered into coding with their calculators. Yeah. You tell them they can play Mortal Kombat on that shit and they're doing <laughs> it. Right. Yeah. That's see, that's mad. I think that's magic. Right. Like 
How can well, we make more sort of like space for that kind of awesome discovery where kids feel like I'm breaking the system, but actually they're learning. Let uh-huh. them play as Raiden while they're in math class. <laughs> <laughs> Friends having a flashback. We talk about that in long-term research sometimes. We're like, what if we give you an activity and then we put this little thing in the corner that actually lets you cheat? So you think you're cheating, but actually you're learning. <laughs> That's awesome though, yes. right? What if that cheat was Raiden? <laughs> and back to Mortal Kombat. He's a thunder god. You can't take him out of the conversation. <laughs> Alan Kay just did an AMA on... Hacker News. On Re- oh, yeah, that's right. I don't know if you saw it. I did. It was so fucking cool. Yeah. And there's this link back to uh, his original thoughts around object-oriented programming. Mm-hmm. And that was like so long ago, but to see that it was just documented and it's going to be there forever is really cool. And I wonder like what are the ways that people are documenting things right now in on mediums that will A, exist 30 years from now, but B be discoverable by the future generations in the in the same way that I discovered Alan Kay's work from so long ago, right? That's been on my mind. Yeah. No, I think it's definitely it's definitely worth thinking about. I think about that a lot too, like the disappearance of medium. Not medium the company. Like media, I should say. Yeah. Like even our photos, right? Like when's the last time I bothered printing a photo? I can't even remember the last time I bothered printing a photo. But I'm I can't so think of the last time like... I looked through my camera roll. <laughs> I take <laughs> thousands of photos. <laughs> Why do you take thousands of photos then? I don't know, man. I, I honestly it's don't It's that know. thing. It's like when you're at a show and everybody seems to be compelled to have their own photo of it, even if they know that like photos That's will awful. come out of it. That's awful. Yeah. It's a thing. That's like, just like bad behavior. music show? Yeah. I don't shoot photos on my on my phone. So one of the fantastic things about working on educational products for middle and high school students is that if you really want to build empathy, you just got to get into the stuff that they're into. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. Yeah. So this is research every yeah. time you're taking a Snapchat. All the time. Uh-huh. So what <laughs> are the kids into? That. <laughs> what are the kids into these days? Snapchat and? Pokemon Go. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's a bad game. <laughs> you're like, that's not the answer I was looking for. All right. I love this the theme that's come out of this, which is like long-term thinking. Pokemon goes bad. Yeah, uh, long-term thinking is important. So I also read you working on something called the 50-year project. Oh my goodness. That is yeah. a long-term. Speaking of long-term. Yeah, so this is a fantastic little story. Uh, I was at uh, what was formerly called CDG, now called HARC, um, which is like the the lab that Alan Kay and, uh, started along with alongside Brad Victor. Um and we were hanging out one evening and I was introduced to a young woman and she said, hi, my name is Paula Tay. And I looked at her and I was like, "You are you by chance Indonesian Chinese? And she's like, yeah, how'd you know? Um, there's a whole long story about why I figured out that she's Indonesian Chinese. And that's actually because apparently the first person that my mother wanted to marry, his name was Paul Tay. And this woman's name is Paula Tay. Huh. Uh-huh. And this was in central Java over 50 years ago. So... I met Paula Tay, and I was like, you're Indonesian Chinese. I'm Indonesian Chinese. And we're in a field that is predominantly white men. So finding another woman there at all, let alone another woman of color, was kind of a big deal. So we, we wound up talking, and we realized that um, this was a couple months before the 50-year anniversary of an assassination that led to like a civil war, which led to an, this genocide they still haven't admitted as a genocide, um, which led to our families leaving Indonesia 50 years ago, and us finding each other on the other side of the globe, working in the same field. In the same research lab. In the same, yeah. Sitting in the same research lab 50 years later. 
So we're like, well, we have to do something about this. And the fact that we're both interaction design researchers meant that we were like, well, how would we let people explore this? Like from an interaction design standpoint, you've got this super complicated double narrative that has like, you know, there's like political climates in Indonesia, there's communism, there's like the way that like food has traveled with us is something we're both super interested in because like the food of your home country is it's a thing when you immigrate. Um, and we're, we're like, well, what would we put together? So around September, we were like, well, we really have to announce this now or at least put together a thing now so that this marks the beginning of the 50 year project because it was exactly 50 years after that assassination happened that like led to all these events that led to us meeting 50 years later on the other side of the planet. Yeah. So, did you grow up in Indonesia? No, I actually, my parents grew up in Indonesia and they left because of that violence okay. um, that this happened. This is pre-Meili. This is pre-Meili. Although apparently like you exist at that point in time, but as like a tiny little speck. Um, so yeah, and then they left, they went to Germany, they went to Holland, I was born in Holland. And it's really interesting thinking about what's going on with immigration now because at that time Germany had its doors open also because they were looking for affordable labor to help rebuild Germany post-World War II. At least that's my understanding. And so a lot of my friends who are immigrants, like their parents were all in Germany in the late 60s. If you think about the late 60s as a historical moment in time, like the world was kind of on fire. And the fact that we're there again, like 50 years later is kind of like kind of crazy spooky and perhaps discouraging yeah Yeah, i mean i like it's almost like we had a significant war over the past decade hmm Hmm. quite Hmm. yeah i mean i like to think that we have made progress it's just like a i like to think of it as a spiral not a circle so it's like projected out in space and it is moving forward it just does sort of spiral and repeat um you know (laughs) I know, I, mean, I know. It's what you moving mean. forward <laughs> on the Z axis. Yeah, yeah. X and Y kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That. Exactly. <laughs> the human. So the Z axis of humanity. Yeah. yeah. So I was born in the Netherlands, and then I moved to Canada when I was a kid, and grew up in Vancouver. So to, to go back to the the project with Paula. Oh yeah. Like, what's your goal? What do you want? What do you want people well, to to see. be able to do or see or touch? Um, we want people to be able to eat also uh, we feel like the future of technology and cuisine don't tend to come together very often so we're really excited about that did you hear I, they I like made the a- idea that vr is like really just a predecessor to just food interfaces it'd be great <laughs> you put on this thing and food comes out of it well i just want to eat the interface like just that should be the whole thing eat the interface yeah did you hear about this? Put Isn't the, there like put the a interface VR in your face? Did you hear there was like this thing at GDC where I think to like exit the menu you had to eat a taco in VR? That sounds great. Yeah. Wait, what? Dude. <laughs> like there's like a virtual taco that you have to like reach for and then like take a bite and that's how you exit the menu. So HTC Vive, uh, there's a game called The Lab. It's Valve like demo. Mm-hmm. The way to get into a game is to take a crystal ball and you can you can look into and like see what's in the game and mm-hmm. then push it to your face. And, like, you just enter the thing and you're there. Wasn't there a moment like that in Diablo? But you, like, reached the end of the level and there was a thing that you, like, picked up and you could see it from the, your point of view. And then it was like uh, a stone and then you smashed it into your skull. And Diablo then you 1? Was it? Because I didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so basically, really like, sure I don't know is the answer. <laughs> yeah, but I remember this. I remember a scene where, like, somebody, like, takes a crystal and, like, puts it in their head and then. Nothing's original, I swear to God. Yeah. Anyway, 
But want, food is in, food yeah. in your head is better than a crystal in your skull. <laughs> in your skull. face, in your face. <laughs> so you want people to eat? Yeah. Um, so we, I, I think it would be cool if there was sort of a, s- a series of experiments, same thing, where like, you know, say, for example, we come up with some, some sort of interface that like allows people to uh, non-linearly explore history and kind of like see how difficult and complicated and yet sort of beautiful the series of events and systems that lead up to humans being in a particular place at a particular time and feeling a particular way can be. Anything along those lines, it'll probably be a series of experiments or something like that would be super cool. We need, we kind of need to get crunching on it. As in case y'all couldn't tell, I clearly try and do too many things and this is one of the too many things, but we're making slow progress, I suppose. Are you worried about burning out? I, yeah. Well, I'm mostly I'm worried about dying young, oh. just to be really light. <laughs> Thanks for bringing really... <laughs> it down, Maylee. Both, both. I, I think I'll always Let's assume be... that you don't die young. Okay. <laughs> and you got to live a long Strong life. assumption. Yeah. Living a long... I love this assumption that I get to live long lives. That means that I might be able to like do three lives, right? Because uh-huh. if you live past 90, then you can get to your 30s three times. Holy shit. And the, right? your, and fir- you don't your have first to... 30s don't even really count, right? Because right? you're spending half the time just figuring out how to like do basic <laughs> shit. Yeah. That would be amazing. <laughs> You get three lives. That's pretty crazy, right? Yeah. I would love that. I would love to be able to live that long and also be able to do substantial stuff at that at that age. I think that there's certain patterns that you see over time that you just can't see when you haven't worked that long. But in the third time, you kind of lose that ability to do things, right? Like Not necessarily. Well, that's fair. It's fair, not necessarily, but... Okay, my grandma's going through dementia. Like, if she had had, like, three lifetimes, that'd be great. Yeah. But okay, so like three healthy me. lifetimes would be great. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. So let's add that. on some some better cons- some better More constraints for points. for our hypothetical. Yeah. <laughs> health points, all of that stuff. But are yeah. you worried about are you worried about burnout in the short term? Then I think the kinds of problems that I'm dealing with now, which is like oftentimes too much of a good thing. It's like I'm really excited about ten things and I'm trying to do them all. That's like a healthy kind of thing to try and like do versus like. I'm unhappy. I'm working on like a few things, mostly at work. I don't really feel deeply invested in them. And the people around me are toxic like that. Not ideal. That's not cool. Yeah. We were literally talking about this before we did this. Like Brian and I are both very busy. Yeah. And we've been a little bit stressing out over it. But it was it was like, oh, we're both so fucking busy. But it's with stuff that's but we so do fun. All like, of the things we, but we wanna, can't get any of them we done. We want to do it all. Not everybody likes living like that, but I think <laughs> that's I've, true. I think yeah. I've, I've always done that, and like, yeah, I was. It was just, we were talking about it the other day. Even when I was in high school, it was like, okay, I'm going to get good grades, and then I'm going to do all the shit on the side that I'm not supposed to be doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. And like, so I have this base covered, and I'm going to go do all this other stuff. Uh-huh. Like, I feel like that's kind of been like my mo. It's always like, okay, cool, got this covered, like. Cool. Paying the rent. Cool. All right. Now I'm going to go do now all I, this. Now I can go live. Right. <laughs> now I'm going to do all this other crazy stuff on the side that nobody expects to happen from the same human being. It's just like fun. That's a bit of a game too. I'm really interested in your point about having all these different things that are all intriguing or fun in their own way. Mm-hmm. Is it better to have a lot of those or is it better to, to focus and say no to the least interesting of the interesting things? I think it's always good to use the most fascinating things as a measuring stick for the other things. And that's that goes kind of back to being able to kind of come out of your own body, observe yourself, 
Like, what is it that's like getting your heart rate up that you're like, oh my God, I really want to do this. I really want to do this. And then if you notice that you're like, everything just drops, like your energy's just dropping when you go into work and you're like, ugh. And you know that that's like the process, then that happens for too long. It's probably a sign that like, you probably want to be doing something closer to the thing that picks your energy up. So, um, you, you so yeah. but you kind of dodge the question. What if? What if there isn't? What, <laughs> what if, if it's all exciting all yeah. the time? Um, like, should you? What if you just like liking you, things? Do you think you would be more effective if you said, "Here are the one, two, and three things I want to do"? Three is about right. But you said ten. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that was exaggerating. Maybe I was exaggerating. Um. It is good to think about how the different things you're doing will feed into your creativity in each other, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's really important yep. for people to do things that are totally different from what they, from from what each thing is, because your brain will make those crea- those connections, and that's where your creativity comes from, right? Like if you're, I don't know, you've worked in audio, you're working on something totally different. Like I bet some of the audio UI that you've used probably applies to like learning software. Actually, I've thought about this already, right? When you're in DJ software, for example, you can hit a button and loop the last 16 beats, eight beats for whatever, half. Tractor is so Right? You can just, and that's how people get that, like the beat reduction just before they like drop it, that the whole crowd goes wild. That that thing is like, those buttons are amazing. (laughs) But what happens when you're learning something, a lot of the times you're like, wait, what do you say? Wait, can you say it again? So what would happen if you had like a UI when your teacher was speaking, you could just hit this like loop 16 beats. And just loop, 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 loop till you got it and then go forward. And then so faster that's, and faster and faster and faster. And then the drop. And then and the drop. And it, the crowd knowledge. goes wild. Yeah. <laughs> and that's called the hypotenuse. But yeah, so who knows? You know, you never know like what thing is going to lead to something different. I don't know. Somewhere else. I just want your help. Teach me how to focus. That's what I need to know how to do. Do you better. know how to find flow? Like, are you able to find flow? Yeah, uh, it doesn't happen as often as I'd like. Mm. Have you tried turning off your phone? <laughs> no. <laughs> he can't find that flow because he's on Pokemon Go. <laughs> but how are, you, how are you supposed to find flow if you can't know what everyone's doing on Twitter? <laughs> We're actually out of time. Thanks uh, so much for having me. Y'all. Anything you'd like to plug before you go? Plug. Where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on the internet at um, at Maylie, M-A-Y-L-I on Twitter. Um, I haven't really put anything up on my website, but it exists if you want to stalk me. Um, Brian and does. Your, what? Your website is great. It has all the information I need to know about you. Oh, well, thank you. Have you have so many good links. If you want to host a podcast with Maylie on it, go there and find all the info. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. And then... Is that Maylie.co? Because that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's M A Y L I K H O E dot com. Oh. oh, dot co dot k. Oh, I see uh, what you're saying. But Wait, are you saying dot co co? I have that yeah, too. M A Y L I dot co. Yes, that will be me. That'd be hilarious. Even though it's, it's coo, it. but but yeah, it looks like co. I do. I do have that domain. So yeah, that stuff and like, um, we're hiring. Really, at Khan Academy. What are you hiring for? If you want to come help make the future of a free world-class education for anyone, anywhere, come apply. We have different ways of working. They're not like (laughs) um, what you might typically find people complaining about on the internet when it comes to tech. We like to do things a little differently. We're very introspective and we iterate on our internal processes. So 
There you go. That's a lot of things. You're it's hiring things. designers, though, to be clear. Um, yes. We're hi- well, we're hiring all of the things, but Are yes. Are you hiring teachers? Um, we just hired a teacher. Um, yeah, we hire teachers sometimes, especially teachers who design. Amazing. If you're out there, definitely contact us. Awesome. Thank Dope. you. Cool. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. That was episode 150. Thank you so much to May Lee for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Wayno for sponsoring. We'd love your feedback. Hit us up or on Twitter at Design Details FM or let us know what you thought in our Slack team. Join at spec.fm slash Slack. We crossed 5,000 people a little while ago. So there's a lot of people in there talking about tools and design and development and products and really awesome designery things. We would love to see you in there again. That's at spec.fm slash Slack. And of course, as always, thank you to Wayno for making this episode possible. Wayno is an agency doing amazing work, clients all around the world. Uh, some of their clients include Dropbox, Boosted Boards, Google, Reuters, Airbnb. The list goes on. You should go check out their work. They post up awesome case studies on their website at wayno.co. That's U-E-N-O dot C-O. If you're ever in the Bay Area on a Friday night, come hang out at their happy hours every week with a different guest. And if you're looking for a new job or want to change a pace, you should join the team. You can click the careers link in their header and tell them we sent you. Again, that's wayno.co. Thank you so much for making this episode possible. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday with Mackie Saturday.